Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ryan Seaman's band, I don't know how, but they found me, performed on Ellen in 2021. That's a significant level of pop stardom for any band. But before Ryan drummed for I don't know how, he played in several other groups, Falling in Reverse, The Eyeliners, and I Am Ghost. But going back even earlier in his life, Ryan grew up going to ska and punk shows in Utah. On today's episode, we go way back in time to when Ryan was a young ska fan and dig into the scene he grew up in that made him the drummer he is today. Okay, I gotta admit, I love having guests on who saw my old band. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel so validated, especially when it's somebody who has like had such a career as Ryan Seaman. Yeah. (laughs) What's your old band called? Link 80. Oh, I think I saw Link 80 before. Oh, did you? Actually, did you ever see the band when I was in it? Uh, I'm not sure. I definitely saw (laughs) Dessa. I don't think you did. You saw Dessa for sure. Uh, and I saw Link 80 uh, Reunion. Yeah. So there, that counts. Okay, that counts. Fine. But Ryan Seaman saw saw us in, when he was a kid in Utah. And now, giant rock star. His band, I don't know how, but they found me, is so big that they've played Ellen. Yeah. That's a whole other level of stardom that I think exceeds the our, our, former, our previous guests. What do you think? I mean, definitely. Like when I looked this band up on Spotify, because I'd never heard of them, um, they're huge. And the songs, while it's like pop music, are really, really cool. Yeah. Like it's not your standard pop music fair. There's, if you're a musician who appreciates, if you're just a person who has ears, who appreciates lots of different interesting sounds happening in a song and well-constructed songs, great band. Yeah, absolutely. And Ryan grew up going to ska shows, so that's why we had him on. Yeah. Let's talk about going to ska shows. Ryan, uh, you were about to tell us about the greatest show you ever saw, and it involves Adam. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, check it out though, for real. One of the best show, one, one of, because you know, I've been to a lot of concerts. It's I love going to shows, it's like my thing. But um, I think this would have been in the winter of I want to say 99, maybe 99 or 2000. But uh, yeah, you guys were on tour with uh, Voodoo Glow Skulls when they put out Band Geek Mafia, and I think Bucko Nine was doing uh, 28 Teeth, and uh, there was no barricade or anything, and people were just you know, stage diving, head walking, the whole thing all night long. Circle pits, it never stopped. And I was at a place called Area 51, and that still was one of the best shows I've ever been to. Today, I think it cost, uh, you know, $10 to go. So it was great. That's a lot for back then. It, yeah. What? I mean, well, you had three, you had three big bands, three bands that are stacked. So, you know, at least in my time, it, I, I considered that big, you know. What, what town was Area 51 in? That was in Salt Lake City. It was right. Okay. It was in the quote unquote ghetto of Salt Lake City. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word anymore, but um, yeah, it, it was not in a good neighborhood, you could say. But there, you know, gotcha. it, but really, it was just like Salt Lake City. There's everywhere was pretty nice, you know. There was just like one part of town. I think it only got that reputation because Area 51 was next to like a mission, you know, and there mm. be like some crime there. But um, overall, I mean, it's one of the safest places I've I've ever been to. Adam, do you remember the show at all? That one, not specifically. I don't think. Um, yeah, it's also the Nelly Potato one where she was playing upstairs and you guys were. I definitely upstairs. remember that one. Yeah, that was fun. Man. <laughs> also, because I'm pretty sure the stage at the at the at the basement show at Deviate that we played, yeah, um, which was also with Voodoo. Um, I'm pretty sure the stage was like uh, milk crates yep. stacked on top of um, like with plywood stacked on top of it. Yes, exactly. It kind of reminds me of um, now that I've been touring a lot. It, it kind of reminds me of like Jerry's Pizza almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very similar vibe. Super similar. And then you had the mirror, <laughs> like in the in the uh, corner, <laughs> or not the corner, like behind you, you know. So and and there was like a big pole in the middle. Yep, I remember the pole. There's a picture of me leaning against the pole while I'm playing guitar. <laughs> so funny, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that this has nothing to do with ska, but I remember seeing. I remember guy. I, I got dr- dragged out to a show down there with uh, a band at the drive-in and Blue Tip, and uh, mm-hmm. there was like 15 people. And I remember, yeah. and I remember at the drive-in, like kind of throwing a fit about it. And they only played like six songs, and they left. And I was like, "This is incredible! Why did they stop?" You know. And I had never seen anything like it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of first times for me in Salt Lake. You know, between Kilby Court and DV8. Yeah, DV8 burned to the ground. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Oh wow, I didn't know that. It did. Yeah, burned down. I want to say about maybe 15 years ago now. Do you think it was for insurance money? I. You know what? I was that actually like was a was a thought process of mine. Because I mean, mm. it, it's Salt Lake clubs are so hard to just like keep open, and I don't know why. It's always been like Mormons. That's why. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> Adam grew up Mormon, so he's allowed to say that. My singer is also Mormon, so. <laughs> oh, nice. Is yeah. he still Mormon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's, right. he lives in Salt Lake City, and he's he's doing the whole thing. So, what about you? I am not. I so I I got to Salt Lake City because uh, my dad at the time he was. I never went to the same school twice. Until I moved to Utah, actually, and uh, mm. what ended up happening is uh, my my dad was shooting like a bunch of TV shows, and we moved out to Salt Lake City for the show called Touched by an Angel. And so I okay. spent my I spent my informative years uh, like seventh through twelfth grade just like playing music and learning about bands and going to like a fuck ton of shows and just you know being involved in my local music scene. How did you start playing drums? Um, so I was going to say when, when I was, when I was a kid, my dad, like most people, you know, maybe your family introduces you to something, but I I had no siblings either. So it was, you know, if I found something, I felt like I'd like discovered it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I got introduced to the Beatles at a very early age, like probably like second grade. And then from there, um, I remember walking into like a CD warehouse 
you know where you could like go buy CDs back then. I know, I know it's a prehistoric time, but um, <laughs> you go to the record store. Yes. You know, there's these things called albums, and uh, there is a picture of this like cartoon, and it said Green Day Dookie, right? And I never heard of the band or anything, and I put on. They had like a little listening booth, and I put on uh, that record, and it completely changed my life, and it opened so many doors for me. That record alone. So wow. Yeah, so, and then I started watching a bunch of, you know, a bunch of MTV and then I was going to say one of the first <laughs> one of the first ska bands I got into um, was because of that movie Clueless. It was it was the uh, it was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that that was that was my introduction to ska music. And then I I, I would later see them on um, on MTV, you know, and there was like that big craze in like uh, I want to say it was like 96, 97 when it was like, yeah. Boss Tones, Real Big Fish, um, the specials uh trying to think of all the bands that were even being played by then you know they they did this thing called like ska saturday on mtv do you guys remember that yep scotterday scotterday yeah. Yeah, they did it for like a hot second really hot second i even think they threw on like royal crown review and like cherry pop and daddies even though like to me that's not really ska i know cherry pop and daddies made a ska record but that's that's here and there but uh yeah so that's that's when i started playing drums man i got i started playing in like the fourth grade uh mtv was pretty much like my bible until i went to salt lake city and learned about a whole underground you know, punk and ska scene and, and hardcore as well. So I, I listen to everything, man. I'm not, I'm not just like a, you know, I'm not just, I'm not closed minded. You know, I listen, I listen to a lot of stuff. So I was listening to the, uh, Kings of no hope, the stereo podcast. Oh yeah. Okay. And, uh, I, I heard, I, I heard a familiar name in the first episode. What, uh, what, yeah. <laughs> Who was that? Yeah. It was you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. And, and I, I became friends with, uh, I became friends with Jamie because you know you know it's really funny about this whole podcast that we're doing right now. My friend Travis Brooks is the one that kind of um, introduced us, I think, right? Yeah, and he was a guy that I just grew up going to shows with. He got me into a lot of stuff, man. You know, um, he kind of got me into like the, Utah had like a huge ska scene too. So I, m- I remember he was like trying to show me what like Animal Chin was, and then you know, after I, obviously I wasn't I wasn't old enough to go see Animal Chin, but then you know years later. Jamie would come through Salt Lake City with uh, with the stereo, and I became a huge fan. And I started just going to all their shows whenever they they'd come, even the places like Deviate or you know Kilby Court. Nice. Those those are my two those are my two uh, most often visited places. You know, if you had to pick one, what's your favorite stereo song? <laughs> oh my god! Um, if I had to just paint it all, probably Ramona. No, oh, I was going to say the same thing. Really, <laughs> such a good song. Ramona's good. Yeah. So you. You're friends with Jamie though now, right? Yeah, you know, I I kind of developed a relationship with him. Um, I was gonna say, pro- yeah, probably in like '99. I just I just kept being a familiar face, face and I go to their shows and I give him like you know I give him demos. I would uh, just talk his ear off, <laughs> you know. Just I was just like, yeah, <laughs> like oh man, please listen to my band, please, yeah. And then uh, we we keep in touch, and then you know, um, I think when my career really started for me, be- like when I was in Salt Lake, because I was in this. Uh, this local punk. Well, I'm trying to think of how far I should take it back because I guess my first any kind of like success in a band was actually um, was 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 a ska band. It was uh, just add water. Just add water. Yes, yeah, someone's done their homework. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in a band. Called, you know, it's funny though because I never got to record with Just Add Water. That was um, you know I've been asked to leave two bands in my entire life, and that was one of the other bands I got asked to leave. It was my ninth grade. School. Wow. Why do you get asked to leave a ninth grade ska band? <laughs> no, I think at the time, well, it was my ninth grade ska band. Everybody else was like way older than me. So that was, like, sure. that was my problem growing up is that I would find all these musicians, but they were like so much older. Like when I was 17, I was in this band, the teen tragedies and everybody else was like 23, 24. 
Right, which at that point may as well be like a hundred years. Later. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, be, between those two, there's there's a lot I still needed to understand. There's a lot you know that they needed to understand. Um, but going back to the ska band, um, I remember just going to shows. It's it's really funny. Do you guys know this band called Insatiable? Have you guys heard of them? No. No. Okay. They were a pretty big Utah. There's Utah had like a really big underground ska scene. There's even like websites dedicated to it. It was like utahska.com. And I would just go to all these ska shows, right? So Insatiable was probably one of the bigger bands, but the trumpet player was my was my band teacher. So he would like always say, hey, if you guys want to come out to the show tonight, you know, it's at this place. And usually they were playing like bars, so I couldn't really go. Um, but yeah, so Insatiable was a big band in Utah. There's this other band called Sturgeon General. I don't know if you know the know that. Oh, I remember them, yeah. yeah. Sturgeon General. So like, I remember I got a, a demo of, with my band, Just Add Water. We recorded like a little, uh, <laughs> we recorded this little, demo in my in my parents living room where we just held like a microphone out onto a tape like a legitimate tape and then we would listen back to make sure you can hear everything and you know everything like that and so i would i would go around giving these tapes to ska bands around town asking if we could open for them so um i did that with sturgeon general they gave they gave us like one of our first shows there wasn't there's hardly anybody there uh and then you know there was this place in utah called provo which was like so thriving with Scott back in like the, the mid nineties. And I remember, uh, there was this band that I, that I went up to, I, again, I was like 14 years old, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And these guys were so nice. Cause they were probably in the early twenties. And like, I looked up to them and they were all really great at their instruments, but they were called my man Friday. You guys know them? Have you heard of them at all? Nope, no. man. They were huge. Like, <laughs> like, the slacker, like the slackers would come into town and like, they would open up for my man Friday because they were that big. It, just, just, wow. just to give you guys the, the scope of everything. Same thing with like, you know, a band like Jeffrey's Fan Club or like Homegrown. I, I don't know if I'd call Homegrown a ska band, but you know, just have some ska. Yeah, call sure. Ska. Like, uh, yeah, but they would co- they would come in from out of town, just to, like like this band, like Attaboy Skip. I don't know if you've heard of them either, but they mm-hmm. would come up and just, oh, yeah. yeah, they would just come up and you know open open up for for My Man Friday. And uh, so I gave I gave the singer Jimmy a demo at the time, and then he liked what he heard, and he asked us if we wanted to open up this show called uh, Scalloween. I don't know if you've heard of that. But that was a big that was a big Utah thing every year. Every year it was like it was like an annual thing. So I think it went on for like ten or fifteen years, like the fifteenth annual Scalloween and in Provo, Utah. What did you dress up as for Scalloween? I don't even know. I, I don't even think we dressed up. I think we just like went extra <laughs> with with like what we would usually wear, you know? Okay. So your 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 band outfits were your costume. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, like, sometimes we dressed up, sometimes we did like the whole suit and tie thing. Sometimes everybody just looked like a crazy deranged punk rocker. Um, but there was, but what was interesting in being in a ska band is that everybody's personalities were like so different from one another. So like our bass player was this, uh, he was like this like Gothic looking guy. And now he's like a successful screenplay artist. Um, and we had this guy <laughs> named Ed. He was like super, super punk rock. Um, Ed's no longer with us. He actually, he actually died recently in the, uh, oh, hear that. the Oakland fire that happened. Oh, in ghost ship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. He was, he was in that recently. So rest in peace, Ed. And then you had this other kid, David, who was really, really great at uh, Barry Sachs. Now he's like a financial advisor. I'm the only one left that's still doing this. Uh, music. Yeah, exactly. So and then our, our trombone player slash singer, because uh, he cause we had two singers. One, one, his name was Hoyt. One of, he would just he all he would do is sing. And then Peter would like play trombone. Sometimes he would scream, too. I wish I had like these demos still somewhere. I'm sure I do. But then once I left the band, I felt like it started to go downhill and six months later, they ended up breaking up anyway, but we're all still friends. <laughs> it's all good. You were the glue. Maybe, 
you know, at, at hindsight. Well, because I was like always the hustler, man. Like I was always going out to shows and like meeting people and talking. I mean, I guess that really hasn't changed all that much. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but you haven't said what it is that they kicked you out over. Dude, honestly, I I literally have no idea. Maybe maybe because I was just acting like an immature fourteen year old. I think what it really was is that I wanted to take the band more seriously than everybody else, and I was like kind of a stickler. Like I would be like, mm. we got to practice like every single day. We got to do this, and it was just I was creating like my own boot camp. And you have to realize that like not everybody's like on the same wavelength you know but i I took it so seriously even at that age the only utah band i'm familiar with is a stretch arm song armstrong yeah yeah yeah. not to be confused with the the hardcore band but yes (laughs) i roadied for skank and pickle on one tour they did it was um when they brought seven seconds oh my god were you at that show no i was not but my band so oh we also did ska covers so we covered uh we covered the song nate b as well oh nice so yeah, we, yeah, we love doing, oh wait, not, no, I'm, I'm sorry. That was slapstick. I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Skank and pickle. Jesus Christ. Uh, gas in my car. That's the song. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I had to correct myself. So skank, skank and pickle played. Um, I was, I wrote it from this on tour. They played Salt Lake city. Seven seconds were their supporting act. Slapstick actually were on that tour with them, but they did not play uh, Salt Lake city. And, um, stretch Armstrong was the opening band. Okay. Uh, of that show. And, I don't remember where it was, but I remember, I, f- I feel like it was kind of a hall. It wasn't like a club. It was like some kind of hall. Is it an American fork? Was that, is that sound familiar? Ring a bell? I have no idea. I just re- kind of remember like this open hall sort of scenario. Okay. And I remember that there was like some kind of fight that happened at that show where, um, where it was like the uh, bouncers were like being really aggressive with the audience where they were like, if anybody would try to get on stage, they would like yank them and pull them down really aggressively. And then um, at one point, like Mike Park, the the singer for Skank, he got, he just got in one of the bouncers face and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then the whole audience was like, yes, really just, yeah. (laughs) It's fucking crazy. man. Yeah. I've, I've known Mike now for a minute. We're not, we're not super close or anything, but I toured with him. He was tour managing Alkaline Trio back in 2002. And this was one of my first tours I ever. So, so like how, you're wondering, how did Ryan get from a, you know, his ninth grade ska band all the way to like today, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah. After that, I ended up like just, I was so distraught though, you know, when I, when I left my band, but I still, I still kept going to shows and I saw this band called the teen tragedies. They opened up for uh, good riddance and I ended up, uh, I thought they were incredible and I just was like, I just started talking to them and I think their drummer quit after that show. And I said, I wanted to try out. They weren't sure because of my age. Cause I was like 15 and they were all, you know, old enough to drink and all that stuff. They, they were straight edge, but just to give you the scope of like how much older uh, they were than I was um, like my mom would have to drive me to band practices and stuff, you know, but uh, I tried out for the band and I made it. And then I became that guy that was like, I go to all the shows. I pass out flyers. I, you know, work my ass off trying to, get us on shows and you know we we were all kind of connected in our band um we even had like a, a, a online zine back in the day called punk beat and we would review punk beat. mm-hmm, yeah. punkbeat.net and we would review bands records so it could be ska hardcore punk whatever whatever we wanted to do uh but yeah do you, do you remember any any records that you reviewed back then you know i remember doing an interview so i did two i only got to do two interviews for that uh magazine i, I got to go see uh this band pushover yeah x uh x meal ticket yep x meal ticket that's right and so, isn't it crazy how much I know about ska, even though I'm like, not even, like, I'm not even in a fucking, yeah, I haven't been in a ska band for like over two decades. Um, it sticks with you. It does. Yeah. But it was, it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a good time though, man. Um, 
No, what's funny about that whole scenario is that years later, their bass player uh, became my lawyer. So I still use him as, wow. as an attorney in, in sometimes in, in certain cases. Um, yeah, Dave Ferreria, he's great. Who was the other artist that you interviewed? Uh, the other one was the Aquabats. So I got to interview them because they came to my high school and they played a show. And I would say that, would, that was probably my first introduction to those guys. And then, you know, a couple of years after, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of going on all sorts of tangents. But what I was going to say is like, that was the first time we had ever met each other. And then a few years later, if you fast forward the clock, uh, I ended up moving out to California to be in this band called Fairview that was on uh, the militia group. Mm-hmm. And the Aquabats took Fairview on tour. And I reminded them, I was like, hey, like, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but like a few years ago, you came to my high school and I interviewed you guys. And now I'm on the road with you. This is all crazy. <laughs> and, and they did. They totally remembered. And then, you know, years later after that, um, I still kept in touch with Aquabats. And then when they found out that, um, you know, I was starting a band with my friend Dallin, they reached out and asked if we wanted to be on some of their shows. You know, so, um, so that was pretty cool. You know, <laughs> I, I still do in contact with the Aquabats today. I almost got the fill in for Ricky uh, oh. before COVID happened on drums. I guess he there was there was a, there was some reason he couldn't do like three shows like in a row. I, I forget why. It, it must have been like family re- related or something like that. But um, at the eleventh hour, they're like, "Oh, we don't need you after all." But thanks for learning. <laughs> you know the songs. Here's a little bit of here's a little bit of thank you cash, and you know, we'll see, we'll see you around. <laughs> And I just was like, fuck, because I, because I got the costume and everything. I still have the costume and I have the belt. So if you guys need that belt back, Aquabats, you just give me a call and I'll, I'll get. It. Yeah. I was going to say in uh, 2019, you posted a, a, a picture of yourself as an Aquabat. I did. And then, so I got, so I decided it was two days before Halloween that they broke the news to me. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to be an Aquabat for Halloween. And I remember going to a couple of parties and people were like, man, that is like a really legit costume. And I was just like, well, thank you. It, <laughs> It, it might be official. You, n- you never know. So yeah, they, they, gave, they gave me two costumes to hold on to and I still have it. And then I ended up uh, tour managing them in 2019 um, on a tour with Real Big Fish. So much fun. So, so, so much fun. I had time off. So I figured like if I wasn't doing anything, why, why not go tour a little bit of country with my friends? If you have time off and someone offers you a tour manage uh, the Aquabats, you, do you do it? Of course, right? Yeah. And that, like, that looks fucking amazing on a resume, you know, because there's, there's, like, so <laughs> there's so many guys, you know, like in costumes and you have to make sure that you're, they're all accounted for. And, you know, you got to make sure they're, they're not hungry or they know where they are. You know, it's, it's a lot harder than people think. Hey, I have a question about that. Um, when you tour manage the Aquabats, did you wear the costume as tour manager? I did not. That's not part of the uh, rules of uh, tour managing Aquabeth. It was, it was, it was not a part of the rules. But I will tell you something really funny. We were, uh, we were at Riot Fest. This is 2019, and I remember, like, I don't know, there was something wrong with like some packages. So um, there was like, they're like, Ryan, we need to get to the hotel right now. Our, our package of you know, 200 inflatable burgers just came, and you know, it's our props for the show. And I'm like, oh my god. How am I supposed to get across town and get these 200 inflatable burgers in time? And then, you know, like Lagwagon was playing like on the same stage and you just see like me and uh, the back commander up there just like pumping, you know, air into these inflatable burgers. And then when they played that song in Burger Rain, I just opened up the, uh, the trash bag and they all flew away and it looked so beautiful out in the, uh, you know, the pink sky, just to give you guys a visual, just, you know, fucking 50 balloons probably just going out everywhere. Um, but no, those guys are, those guys are so rad. I love them so much with all my heart. I can't believe we'd been in each other's lives for, for that many years. And just the fact that like, you know, Christian is such a legend, man. I mean, he's, 
He's been an actor. He created Yo Gabba Gabba. He does music videos for bands all the time. He did two of our band's music videos. Oh, the, I don't know how, but they found me. Yes, yeah. So he did uh, Nobody Likes the Opening Band, and he also did uh, Social Climb. So those, those okay. are the videos that he, he got to do with us. And uh, I love him, man. I, I love Christian. I love Ian. I love everybody in that band. I, I haven't watched those two videos, but I, have, I did watch several of your videos. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I noticed, there is an ongoing theme about you guys looking like you're being experimented on. Okay. Is this intentional or is this something that just happened? I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a storyline, you know, I'm surprised that no one's caught, um, you know, a certain, well, I mean, some fans have caught it already, but there's like a little Easter egg that's in every video. Um, there, there's a character that appears. So maybe check that out next time and see if you could, you could, if you can just like, you know, visualize it and see if you can actually see it. But there's, okay. there's a okay. character that, that, uh, is a reoccurring guy in, in all of our videos. Interesting. So Travis, you mentioned Travis books brooks before yeah he gave me a little intel and so i'm gonna just throw some some oh info God. at you and get your <laughs> Am I, should i be scared should no, i be scared about no, this no all right okay this is all very wholesome <laughs> all right good okay so he said that you, that you guys met at um a jeffrey's fan club show jeffrey's fan club that's right uh yeah i believe so mm-hmm. that sounds right do you remember anything else about that show i remember that these straight edge kids wanted to beat me up that's what i remember why did they want to beat you up what were you doing I don't know. I was probably just acting like a, a dumb kid trying to get the crowd to do a circle pit or something, you know? Were you smoking or anything? Was I smoking? Yeah. I think so. Uh-uh. Was it smoking? <laughs> I don't know. Straight well, edge you know, kids. Straight edge kids. Yeah. No, I was probably just being a little shit. Because you know what would happen is sometimes the straight edge kids would come to the, the punk shows just to start shit. Uh-huh. They had like they didn't want to. It, like, like when you're saying there was like a fight, you know, because seven seconds, like they're a little harder. You know, right. I, it didn't yeah. surprise me when you said, oh, yeah. And then there's like a fight that broke out. But that would happen all the time, you know, in that era. So probably from like 97 to 2005, like that was, you know, there were fights all the time. When my band toured in the 90s, yeah. um, we, played, we played in this Biloxi. I think we played in Biloxi or somewhere mm-hmm. in that general area. And uh, this was a town where it was just all straight edge kids. Okay. And, um, yeah, they tore that, they tore that club apart because oh they were mad because, uh, they're like, the promoter says he's not going to do shows here anymore. So we're going to show him. And so, yeah, we, we, they gave us a heads up. So we knew to leave a little early and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and who were you on tour with at that point? Uh, we were just DIY touring. Okay. But my band was called uh, flat planet. Okay. We were not very big at all that's okay i mean hey look like some of my first touring with uh you know that band the teen tragedies i was telling you about we were we would be lucky if we were playing like you know 15 people a night in some places because we just didn't know we used we used to use this website called uh book your own fucking life.org mm-hmm. sure yeah I, we, we use the magazine version okay yeah i used the we use the online version to book shows but like i had i'd done maybe three diy tours before i ended up getting picked up by this uh all-girl punk rock band on lookout records. And that's, again, that's how I met Mike park like years later. Um, yeah. So I, I got picked up by this all girl punk rock band called the eyeliners because they saw how hard I wanted to work. And they were going through this thing where they wanted to put their, cause they're all sisters. So Laura, the drummer, she would sing at the same time, but they wanted to put her in the front so she can run around and captivate the audience. And then I was just like the hired drummer, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something that the summer tour I got to go on them with was a uh, warp tour 2002. I was like five days out of high school and I got to see 
every band I've ever wanted to under the sun because I just I loved I loved that kind of music growing up. I loved punk rock. I was I was a big like Epitaph and Fat Wreck and you know Asian Man records, um, Moon Ska, all the stuff. You know, Mike Park had been wondering recently what happened to the Eyeliners. Can you fill him in? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, I I kind of talked to them around like birthdays. You know, okay. um, they are just they're just they're just being family people. That's all. Okay. They, just, they just hung it up. They just decided no more no more band family time. Family time, exactly. So, I mean, they, you know, I, I knew going into the tour that I wasn't going to be their full time guy. It was just like, hey, we want you to come out this summer. And then I went out with them again only because there was such like a limited amount of uh, time between tours that they, you know, they, I don't think I could train somebody else that fast or something. But um, so I got to go out with uh, the Warp Tour package. And then the next tour I got to do was No Use for a Name, Yellow Card. This is before Yellow Card got all huge. And then, um, and this band Slick Shoes. And so that was like, so that's so like all of 2002 is like, I, I toured a lot that year, just even, even being in high school and graduating. And then after that, that's when I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do with my life? You know? Cause I'm like a, I'm a 19 year old kid at this point, like that, you know, just stopped touring with like a pretty successful band. And I, I gave up going to college and I didn't know what the next move was. So I decided, well, I think I've done everything I can in Utah. Why don't I try Los Angeles? And now I've been out here for 20 years. What was the first gig you got moving to Los Angeles? Uh, so it was that it was this band called Fairview. So I remember. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right away, I remember that I was like, uh, I, I went to I went to go see like Nerf Herder or something like that in Utah, and there was this band Fairview that was opening, and I went and talked to Fairview, and I was just like, hey, like I was in this band, the Eyeliners, and blah blah blah, and just talking, you know, just talking shop, and uh, you know, they they came back with the Aquabats the next time, so they I, the Aquabats loved Fairview this band, so I I, I went to the show again. I told them I was like moving out to LA and then this is, you know, it's, what's really funny is when I, when I went out to LA, uh, that band, the stereo, I was looking for places to live in the stereo. were playing a chain reaction that night. So I went to their show. And then after the show, I saw the singer of Fairview. He was passing out flyers. He saw me and I didn't recognize him at all. He looked completely different, had like a big beard on his face this time. And, uh, I just, I was talking, I was like, yeah, I'm moving out here in like two weeks. And he was just like, oh, well let's, you know, I, I think I'm not sure if we're going to have our drummer anymore you know, after, after this next show we're going to play. So let's just keep in touch. And the day I moved out to Los Angeles was the day I got the gig. So what year is this that you were playing in Fairview? This was 2003. Okay. So I moved out originally to go to a music school, which I only lasted three months because of money and because I figured out what I needed to figure out in a music school. So, um, I graduated, so I, I didn't, I didn't end up graduating, but I ended up being in this other band and see at, at the time too, it was, it was really crazy because Fairview had already played like they already did Coachella and they did like the Mars Volta's first show and, and at the, at the Troubadour and they wow. just had like a bunch of like awesome looks. And so I was like, wow, this could be like the start of something. And then, um, what ended up happening was I ended up like being in a studio for two and a half years with them. And we ended up, we were just showcasing all the time and writing music and showcasing. That was just like my life for two years. And we like got out of, we were going to sign a really bad production deal. And, and at the 11th hour, um, you know, we, we just pulled out just because, you know, who likes to be in bad deals, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, um, but yeah, I was going to, I was going to say that's, that's kind of what shaped me up is just moving out here. I just kept, I just kept going out. I kept, I went to all sorts of shows though, man. Like, I mean, I loved, I did love ska music. I still love ska music. Um, I'm sure if you go on the internet somewhere, this has nothing to do with anything, but if you go on the internet somewhere, you can see some videos of me playing, uh, that song take on me with, uh, with real big fish. I was going to ask. So, um, I've heard that on that Eyeliners tour, you got to become friends with Real Big Fish. I did. Yeah. I don't even know how that happened. 
honestly. I think I think alcohol had a lot to do with it. We we all, we, <laughs> we would all drink together all the time. And I remember getting really drunk one night and I was like, man, you know, I really love your guys' version of Take On Me. It's such a rad song. And I think Aaron said, well, you should come up and play it with us sometime. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, well, you got to ask our drummer Carlos, but I don't see it being a problem. And I, I asked Carlos and he was down with it. And so I got to do it like five times that summer. It was pretty great. But uh, I mean, it was scary as shit though, being like an 18 year old kid just graduating high school and then just like, okay, you're on the main stage warp tour. You're playing for like, you know, 10,000 people. And, you know, I never had that kind of experience before. It was just kind of like zero to a hundred on that point. But hey, hey, alcohol made that happen. So, <laughs> um, but you no, know, yeah. So we ended up like, I've been friends with those guys now for, for a long time, but I, yeah, I, I don't drink anymore. There's, there's a lot of us that don't drink anymore, but, um, you know, never forget, I guess. <laughs> um, that was your very first tour you did or that was my, so going back to like the BYOFL days, I, I did three like self booked tours, but then my eyeliners tour probably would have been like my fourth tour. So in real life, that was probably my first real tour. You know, I mean, the other stuff was like a couple weeks here and there and just losing money and sleeping on floors and playing basements and farms and fucking outside gazebos at a park, you know, shit like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's all really, it's all really crazy to think about when, when you're just reflecting. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so ever, ever since then though, I would say my career has been kind of steady, you know, it's just, it's been one thing after the other, but, um, this, the, the band I'm in now has definitely been the, the longest I've a band I've been a part of. So mm-hmm. if the other ones didn't work out is because we broke up or, somebody quit and then I quit or what, you know, so it's all, it's all been circumstantial, but um, yeah, I've never, I've never wanted to leave. It's just been, it's just been a thing. But sometimes, sometimes it's about um, adapt or die, you know, being a musician. When you're the singer songwriter, you can be sort of like, this is my band. Right. And, and you can sort of be the captain of this ship for 30 years, even if every other member changes. Right. Because sometimes they're your songs. Yeah. It, it depends. I mean, you know, real big fish. I mean, I think Aaron's the only original original member. Right. But it's still, you know, because Aaron's in the band, it's his songs and, and, and people recognize it works. Say or like a band like Voodoo Glow Schools, you get rid of, you know, the yeah. rid of Frank and then, you know, Ephraim becomes a singer from Death by Stereo. And that like, was a risky move they made, but I think it worked out. It did work. And like but what's funny though is that those guys are all brothers, you know? So it's like Yeah, it's tense now. Yeah, it's really crazy. <laughs> those guys, those guys is uh, their their kids are huge IDK How fans, and so um, they'll hit me up every once in a while for tickets. But then I'm like, ha ha, can you get me back though? <laughs> can I can I go one year? <laughs> you know, I think that was one of the first bands I opened up for, like on a national touring level. But they they didn't know me. I had to like tell them about it. With which band? With uh, Teen Tragedies. So we opened up. For, yeah, we were the token support local punk rock band. You know that people would call. It'd either be us or you know. For Link 80, I was going to say, there was this band that opened up for you guys like a lot. You probably don't remember, but if you did, uh, there was this band from Salt Lake called Hospital Food. Do you remember them? I don't they remember were- Hospital Food. I remember The Knockouts. The Knockouts! Oh, that was another great band. Yeah. I remember The Knockouts, too. Yeah. I want to say somebody... Ugh, fuck. I think somebody in that band was a um, was an Osmond. Is that right? No? <sighs> Maybe. I'm thinking of somebody else. All I know is that <laughs> after we played with the knockouts, we went back to a super nice house. The knockouts. Yeah. I remember they were great. Actually. I thought I was like watching them thinking they were going to do something and then they just never did, you know, but that seems to be the story of every Utah band. 
Sure. Yeah. What did they sound like? Uh, t- tell people what they sound like or what, anything about them. Really fast punk rock, like really fast, but like, uh, oh my God, I actually remember one of their songs right now. It was like, uh, Mushi Mushi's My Japanese Girl. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> no. I'm not joking. And uh, the, the bass player kind of looked like, the, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think if I'm thinking of the knockouts, the bass player kind of looked like, and he played the same bass as like uh, Mike Herrera from MXPX. Kind of had that yeah. look. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Yeah, and like, oh my God, I don't. I really don't know how to compare them. Maybe, maybe like if, say, Ferris didn't have a girl singer and they mixed it with like Jeffrey's fan club, I don't know. I'm just. Yeah. I'd say that's a, that's a good summation. It had like a SoCal look though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So the 90s were a hell of a time. That's all I know. <laughs> oh, so many. And, and then the, the hemp ball chain necklace. A hemp ball chain necklace. Yeah. Oh man, so good. Chain wallet <laughs> chains all the way down to the knee. You know, I but I, what I do with my chain wallet was I I didn't wrap it around like um to the front. I just I let the chain hang out the back. Oh yeah, that's that the way the, to do it. That, that was the way to do it for sure. I kept a chain wallet for a really long time, and then when it wasn't really cool anymore, I would just tuck the chain in my pocket. I did that too. Yep. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. There would also be times where like the chain, maybe, maybe you're sitting like in your classroom and like chain would get stuck to your chair and you're like, how the hell am I going to get out of this chair without looking like a stupid idiot right now? You know? Yep. And then you just look like a stupid idiot. Right. It, yeah. No matter what. So, but yeah, I mean, so, look, Salt Lake was a, such a great place to grow up. We had so many good bands. We had so many really bad bands as well. But, it, but the, the point was, is that everybody was like really involved in their community. And I think that if it wasn't for that, I don't know where I would be today. You know? Yeah. I'm going to throw a story at you that I got from Travis and you can fill in some details. Okay. okay, let's try it. Let's go. All right. So you guys went to go see. So first part of the story is you guys went to go see No Motive and Jimmy World at DVA. Yes. Yes. And face to face. Face to face was the headliner. What's DV8? DV8 is where Link 80 played, but uh, this was there is the upstairs. Yeah, it's a, it's a two story club. There was a weird basement room and then like a huge room upstairs that uh, I saw. Um, I saw B- Mr. Bungle play there. Oh my god! In the upstairs room. Um, we had the funny story about that is we were actually playing across town with uh, Homegrown, but we ran into we ran into Mr. Bungle at a gas station. What? <laughs> and, yeah, I saw I saw um, Mike Patton standing at a payphone. Oh my god! We had just been listening to the California album, like we had just gotten out yeah. of the van and we were listening to it. Sure. And he was standing there, and my jaw like hit the floor. <laughs> and then I just I just went over to the van, was like, "Are you guys Mr. Bungle?" And they were like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Can we?" where are you playing tonight? And they're like, we'll put you on the list. And it turned out that their bass player was friends with our trumpet player's dad. Oh my God. So he knew us and he was like, yeah, I'll put you on the list. And so he actually put us on the list two nights in a row. Wow. Oh, so they played Salt Lake two nights. That's well, they played, no, they played Salt Lake and then they played, I think Denver. And both nights we played with Bucko nine or not Bucko nine homegrown. And then both nights we, uh, we from the stage we're like hey if you want to buy merch you should do it right after our set because we're leaving the show to go see mr bungle oh my god <laughs> what a dick move that's so funny though <laughs> but hey you knew where your priorities were that night i mean we really wanted to see mr bungle they were our favorite band true you know speaking of hemp necklaces and and uh ball chain, i remember your, your trumpet player used to wear one he but, wore a lot he wore a lot of ball chain uh around his neck like he, he like did. several strands he looked like he was like the most like hardcore guy of the group. He was really, really into, into hardcore. Now he's just into Swedish metal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's all he cares about now. Anything that's techie, anything that has like a weird time signature, anything that's from Sweden. Right. 
And then for, you know, I was going to say too, your, your saxophone player, he won't remember me at all. Is, is it Steven, right? Is yeah. Steve Borth. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of got to meet him on that warp tour that I was on too. Cause RX bandits was on, um, on that summer as well during, uh, the, the progress era. Yeah. And God, I just got to say like all, all of you guys could play though, man. You know? Yeah. I've okay. So I have a weird story that maybe you can confirm or deny for me. Okay. Borth on that same tour on uh-huh. the first tour he did with RX on, um, on warp tour. Yeah. He said he met, uh, this Bert, the singer from the used. Yeah. Bert. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, and he came up to Steve and was like, Hey, I, I used to come see you in link 80. Okay. Confirm or deny. <laughs> was he at our show? <laughs> Here's the problem. Sure. Is that, okay. I like, like I said, I, so I've been touring off and on like the used They're They're great people. They're really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't have some jealousy for that okay. growing up only because I felt like they kind of just came like, dude, they kind of just came out of the gate, you know, yeah. Provo and you and in Salt Lake, two completely different scenes, you know, but mm. the used was, were, were never really in the Salt Lake scene. I can say that they weren't, okay. they weren't at all. So they were a Provo band. Yes. So if, if link 80 ever went to Provo, then that might be true. We did. Okay, so then, yeah, maybe he did, but I think yeah, it's it's like Springfield Shelbyville, you know, mm-hmm. the Simpsons. It's, yeah, it's like yeah. that with with uh, Utah as well. So like Salt Lake, Provo. It's like for whatever reason, people. I mean, I never thought it was too far. This is going to go back to your Travis Brooks story, by the way, about uh, Jimmy. <laughs> World. Yeah. So what we did, <laughs> re- real quick, th- there's just nobody wanted to go to Provo for shows if if you were living in Salt Lake and vice versa. But I would all, always go to Provo. Same same thing with Travis. So. What we did was we found out there was an early face-to-face Jimmy Eat World, no motive show happening. And by the way, there was nobody at that show, like legitimately at three in the afternoon. It was it was a double head, like for for sure. Oh, you're talking real early. Yeah. So the 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 night was definitely sold out, you know. But then the the matinee show, there was like thirty of us, maybe fifty at most. And so I remember after the show, Travis and I got in our car and we rushed to go see uh this band called Warsaw the Warsaw brothers, mm-hmm. right? We went to that show. There were seven people, Oof. There. seven people at that show. And this was at the American fork, right? right. It was his American fork. And then when, <laughs> when we got in my car, there weren't GPSs back then. So when we got in my car, we tried to remember how to get back to uh, park city, taking back roads. And it took us like three hours or something. <laughs> was that the story you're looking for? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. You hit all the details. Okay, great. Perfect. Let's go back to the used. Okay, the used. Yes. So I was very, I was a jealous kid. I was a very jealous kid <laughs> um, because yes, I was also on the Warp Tour the summer that they were, but they were on the main stage and I was on the Kevin Says stage, which is at the time it was a little tiny tent that was a foot off the ground and there was like dirt everywhere and the PA wasn't adequate, but it worked, right? And so I just I never heard of these guys. We ended up making a relationship on that tour that summer. And from there, it only skyrocketed from Main Stage Warp Tour and Burt being on the Osborne show. And so, <laughs> I'm 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 not kidding. You know, I mean, he yeah. I think he's very talented. I think they're all talented. You know, we've had our share of, you know, um, good times and bad times together. But overall, like they're my friends, and uh, and I love them. And and you know, their drummer uh, Dan Whitesides, he was I would say, he was somebody I looked up to heavily in Salt Lake because he was he was absolutely in the in the Salt Lake scene. The drummer, mm-hmm. like more than anybody else. 
But I will say that Bert was in a, I think, I don't want to say they were ska. I don't know what the fuck they were, but they was like, okay, yeah. he was in a band called I'm with stupid. And then the bass player was in a band called strange itch. And what, when, how we knew about these bands, again, the whole salt Lake versus Provo thing was like back in the day, uh, there was this label called ABCD records and there was like a local Utah label. And so what they would do was get submissions from bands around, um, around Utah and they would, they put them all in a compilation. So for people that don't know what a compilation is nowadays, it's a different artist on every single track, you know, and there's maybe 20 fucking songs and you just go buy it at your CD store. So I ended up, my band was on there at the time and then uh, his band was on there at the time. And that's how I got to first know of what, what Bert was, but it was his, I mean, he played in bands around time, but again, Salt Lake and Provo were two very different things. And the name of the album was called uh, final round ska versus punk. And you won't be able to find it anywhere anymore. <laughs> You buy a copy on Discogs for like eighty dollars, probably. Do you have a copy? I probably have one somewhere. It's probably in my parents' basement. It's good. it's worth a lot of money. Maybe <laughs> get it on Discogs. Yeah, and what's what's also crazy is that um, that same summer as well, there was this drummer that was also from Utah that I looked up to super hard. His name was Chris Wilson, and his band at the time ECO was on that compilation. But uh, he ended up becoming the drummer of Good Charlotte that summer because their drummer. I don't know. They kicked him out over something. And then all these drummers were trying to fill in while good Charlotte was looking. And then Quinn from the used at the time was like, Oh, my friend, Chris, like you should try him out. He'll fly out here, blah, blah, blah. And so that ended up happening. So, I mean, like I want to say that people in Salt Lake though, what I really love about the music scene is people do it because they love music. They're not, they're not looking for an ulterior motive. They're not looking for stardom. They're doing it because they love music so much. As somebody that grew up in the um, Salt Lake city punk scene. Yeah. What do you and your friends think of SLC Punk? The first one, okay, I'll, I'll say this. The second one, I, it, it was so bad, I don't even remember it. The first one, however, I thought it kind of spoke to me because like, um, at the time, the, the character that I was based on, I don't know if you guys even know this, but um, it, was, it was based on Stefan Egerton from Descendants. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so like, that's who it was like, loosely based on. But th- some of these characters were like, they were real people. But this is before my time, but there, there was like a heroin Bob and there was a Steve-O and, you know, all, the, all these people existed, but to what extent the storyline was true or not, I have no idea. But um, there were a lot of underground punk shows. There were a lot of, there was like a shelter place we'd go to all the time called Food Not Bombs. And we'd hear about um, punk bands that just were kind of like on the rise, you know, um, mm-hmm. the, like, like when I mean on the rise, I mean like no one had ever heard of them. They're on their first tour. And maybe something happened with them, or maybe it didn't. Or they, I just thought they were a great band, and then you never heard of them ever again. Uh, so there was, a, there was a lot of cool little underground punk things happening. But there, were, like, we had like our own scene. We played like shows at like skate parks. We would, you know, it was just wherever we could create a scene. And there was about maybe, I don't know, 40 local bands at the time that would just support each other. So can I remember them all? Probably not. <laughs> so you feel like it kind of captured the vibe? A little bit, yeah. Definitely, Salt Lake was definitely impressed. We we found ourselves having venues shut down constantly. It's really hard to have all age venue open up all the time. There's so many permits you had to have. They couldn't serve alcohol in certain places, so it was it was kind of tough. And then that then not to mention that it was really gnarly as far as like you know fights would happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Not so much at ska shows. I mean, like if if a band like yours and like you know Seven Seconds were to go out on tour, yeah, absolutely, because why not? <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> Like, I remember, God, I remember, like, Bring Me the Horizon or some shit, like, got jumped, like, maybe 15 years ago or something now. Or there was, like, there was, like a fight happening. Um, 
But yeah, bands are scared. Bands are like, I remember I was telling the eyeliners even, I was like, oh yes, Salt Lake's a gnarly scene. And they laughed. They're like, what? Like, it's all like religious. And they're like Mormons. And like, what are you talking about? And like the band Thursday were on Warp Tour and I was like talking to Jeff, their singer. And he was just like, yeah, man, like Salt Lake was gnarly. And he had to like back me up on the story, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it was, just, it was a gnarly place to grow up though. I mean, it was, it was good and bad. Like it, everything mattered in Salt Lake. Everything. Mm. Like, the shows, the bands. CD release parties, whatever it was. Oh, this band's finally going on tour. Oh, it's so sick. We got to go support them. It was just such a, such a great time. So I really, uh, I, I, I feel bad for the, the generation coming up. Cause I don't know if like they have that anymore, you know? Yeah. I really couldn't tell you how to start a band now. Honestly, <laughs> just totally different world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now it's like, Oh, we got to get this thing on TikTok. <laughs> fuck man. Like I'm almost 40 years old. I'm not trying to fuck with another app. You know, that's just me though. Am I going to have to? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> so when I, cause we're, we're, Adam and I are both from Northern California. So um, we, we grew up around a plethora of live music and, and I never felt like, I never felt like the punk underground, all that stuff, like anybody really cared that much about it. But when, when we toured through the deep South, my band, yeah, the punks that I met there, they were like, they were like, they had an edge to them that we didn't have or weren't familiar with. Cause they were like, they kind of dealt with something that we didn't deal with. Like the, the people actually saw kids with Mohawks as something to be scared of. Right. So in, um, in Utah, Salt Lake city, what was it like there in that respect? Was the presence of like it being a more religious town? Did that make the kids more punk or what? Yes. <laughs> so much, so much more punk fashion. I think people did it out of spite. And then tattoos were like a big taboo thing too. Like if somebody had like their throat blasted, it was like, oh shit, that guy's never going to get a job. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was, that was like 20 years, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of things were different. Like I couldn't even dye my hair in school. Like legitimately, I, I couldn't have like a, a gnarly color. It had to be natural colors. And now like today, like I went to go speak at my, um, at my old music department in, in Park City, like recently for like all the high school kids. And uh, there was kids there with like multicolored hair. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I couldn't do that back then. Like piercings and all that stuff. I, I think in Salt, it was just a different time. But like, if you did anything crazy like that, then people did definitely look at you differently. And so they looked at you as like a misfit or they looked at you as like um, adolescent, you know, they looked at you less than, I guess you could say. I see. What about like the presence of the more like quote unquote normal or popular kids? Did they think you guys were dumb and, you know, tease you for being punk rockers or what no they didn't they didn't under so in my school i felt like i was the only active one that like actually went and had it like a, a life outside like i, I went to like I, I met a lot of my my friends just going to shows right because i feel like people in my high school didn't like the music that i liked so if i liked something i i was like i'm holding it onto the chest because i don't want anybody else in here to ruin what i had <laughs> does that make sense um I mean, I mean, I was, I was kind of closed minded though. It was like, oh, that's popular. I don't like it J just because not because it was actually bad or anything, but it was like, oh, that, oh, that bands on like MT, like it basically MTV was my whole universe from like fifth grade until high school. But then once I knew that everybody was watching, I'm, I'm like, oh, now I'm in this cool, like underground punk rock scene. And then, you know, all these bands and like, fuck you, you know, <laughs> that was, that was my, that was my attitude growing up. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I felt like if you weren't a part of the punk rock scene, if you weren't a part of like the things that I was doing, then, um, then I felt like I didn't want to have anything to do with those people. Cause I felt like all those other people judged me. Right. 
but now I'm the one, but then if, when I look at it in hindsight, I'm actually the one judging all of them, if that makes sense, you know, later on, uh, but nobody in my school really knew about anything that was like punk related. What's really funny though, is that, um, when you, you guys know this thing called emo night, are you guys familiar with that? It's like the big, like a dance party sing along thing. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was interesting from that is, uh, I went to one of those once and, uh, well, actually, I should say I've been to a bunch of them, but the, the, one of the first times I went, uh, I met one of the guys that was the creator, and he told me, he's like, you were the only other person from my town that listened to the same music as me, and I knew about you because you were the only other guy on MySpace, and I was like, what? So I got, I got my music. I, I dare to say I got my music career because of MySpace. It was a powerful force at a certain certain couple of years, yeah. Yeah, I was on, I was on the forefront of all of that, so like... You know, when that kid told me that, I was like thinking, wow, so there is this other kid from my hometown because nobody else listened to the kind of shit that I did. So he understood. So I think that's what drove him to make something like that, if that makes any kind of sense. Wow. Make a brand like that. I mean, sure, he didn't really listen to the same kind of music I did, but it was still kind of intertwined in the same scene. Underground music, basically. Yeah. Right. It's just different. Like, do I like any of the emo night stuff that that's out there now? No. You know, it's not it's not really my bag, but um, I do celebrate that there's people trying to do a scene that was relevant, you know, 20 years ago. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, th- I think it's great. That's just my opinion though. So try, trying to keep some sort of that underground aesthetic alive. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that you were in a uh, made for Disney movie. That's right. I sure was. Oh, did Travis tell you about the time that I stopped at, at his house during we, we needed like a, an acoustic guitar and just the location was really close to Travis's house. So no, I didn't hear that. Let's hear it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, so again, my dad was a, uh, a cinematographer. He shot a lot of things, you know, that were, that were in Utah. And I remember there was this, uh, made for Disney TV movie where they needed a high school band. And so these shows were non-union, you know, so they wanted to try to save money as one would do on a production. So they tried out, um, they tried out about like about five high school bands that kind of had like a, a look. And so, um, so we were, we were one of the bands that tried out at the time. <laughs> you won't ever find anything online by us. I can just say it, but we were, we were called the flare. <laughs> so, um, but we, we loved, um, we loved, uh, the dance hall crashers and we loved discount. And so we tried to do our version of that. And of course it didn't, it wasn't great. What did you look like? What was, what was the band image? Um, bright colors i had like spiky hair um a lot of a lot of like weird like fuchsia colors in in the hair um yeah just just bright happy looking just for the for the show you know yeah yeah so i remember when when i was on this we we tried out for the movie and then you know they ended up using uh they ended up using my songs for, for the show and i still get residuals what's the movie called it's called the poof point the poof point that's right it's on Disney Plus. It has Taj Maori. He was uh he was in that show Full House, and his his two sisters are the girls in uh that show Sister Sister, and then uh, Mark Wahlberg. Not not Mark Wahlberg. What am I saying? What's his name? Oh my God, the guy from uh, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. What's his name? Mark. Oh my God, I can't I can't even think of his name right now. Oh Mark man, Mark from Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yes, <laughs> I, I would type this into Google. I just don't care that much. <laughs> So yeah, so he was in it. Uh, we shot it for like a week. I still get 
small checks from the shows for, for, for the music side of things. And yeah, it's, it was a time of my life. Wow. It was a time. It was a time. It was a time. Yes. So, um, I was eligible for a SAG, um, membership after that. I, I'm not, I'm not an actor though. I had a couple speaking lines in it too. Do you remember any of those lines? I do. And I was talking about this with one of my friends the other day here. I'll, I'll practice on this. Here we go. Just here. Um, you know, I'm not sure you got the look. Urban slugs have got to be, you know, smooth. That's one of the lines. They, they call these the urban slugs. In the the urban slugs. Urban slugs. It's not the worst band name. That wouldn't fly today at all. Um, yeah, but it was, you know, Disney. So we had, I, I guess maybe they named this that cause it needed to be edgier. And I think, I think the flair was, uh, copyrighted or something. Again, we were just like a high school band. Like we, we just played like local shows. It was always really popular in Salt Lake to be in more than one band. Cause there was, um, there weren't that many bands and there weren't that many musicians. So it's like, if you wanted to, I was always encouraged to just have as many bands as humanly possible. Now, didn't you fill in occasionally for a band called Arrogant? <laughs> You guys are really going deep. That's a band I'm really <laughs> surprised that didn't get signed for real. I think Fuel by Ramen, like they sent somebody out to watch that band um, back in the day. Yeah, they sent this guy Aaron Phoebus, and he was he was like doing a bunch of like new media stuff for Fuel by Ramen. Um, yeah, I think I filled in for them on. I'm, I'm a bass player too. Not a lot of people know that. So when, when I'm writing music, I'm not just thinking like drums. I'm like actually laying down bass on on some stuff. But um, yeah, so I filled in on bass a couple times because I think the the drummer's brother was like got sick a couple times and I was just able to, I, I learned, I think I learned the song cause I watched them so many times. I learned my version of their songs probably in like a day. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it was, those shows were, those shows were cool. I thought for sure they were going to get signed hundred percent. What did arrogant sound like? They looked like a boy band a little bit, but their, their uh, saxophone player was like a huge straight edge AFI fan, you know? Mm-hmm. Their trombone player kind of looked like uh, Slim Shady, <laughs> looked like Eminem. <laughs> Greg, if you're listening, what's up? Um, God, what and and what, what what captivated me about their band though is that their drummer and the uh, guitar player they were like dual singers, so they they would do harmonies all the time. And I thought they were like some of the best singers I ever heard, just in, in just in Utah. I I'd never heard I never seen a band do that in a local scene where the drummer and the guitar player would sing at the at the exact same time. They were a Scott band. Yeah, but it was weird because the the guitar player, um, he would play, he would had this like acoustic electric guitar, right? It wasn't like an acoustic guitar. It was like one of those like you know acoustic bodies, but then the neck was um, you know what was like a Stratocaster neck or something. Mm. Uh, it was one of those like dual hybrid ones, and it, it was it was a weird. I think it was kind of weird. But if you could find that band somewhere, I I I recommend it. And and when I say that, just remember it was like twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> take it with a grain of salt is kilby court still there it is it, it is still there and i just uh we just barely my band just barely played it um we played the block party that they have they have a block party every single year but they do it on like the actual uh main road and they close it mm-hmm. all down just for the, the the concert but they have like three stages so there's like one on one block one on like the opposite end of the block and then uh inside of actual kilby court am i remembering right or is it just down an alley it's down an alley and bands would get spooked and they call their booking agent being like, where the hell are we? And then it's yeah. like, I would come out and wave you down. And then it's like, Oh, okay, here's where it is. And it was, it was honestly, it's one of the most magical places I've ever been. Like, God, I saw like death cat for cutie there. I saw blue meanies. I saw fucking, I saw your band there. I saw, um, new fan glory play to like five people. I saw like Juliana theory play for like 10 people. 
Um, <laughs> God, just a b- bunch of cool shit. Band called Q and Not You. Mm-hmm. Saw that. I don't know if you guys know these bands. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, yeah. Just so so many great shows. And then a lot of great local shows, too. Um, there are a couple bands from Salt Lake that got signed to uh, this label called Some Records. Do you guys know what that is? No, never heard of that. It's Walter, it's Walter Schreifel from uh, like Gorilla Biscuits and okay, yeah. you know, Quicksand and, and Rival mm-hmm. Schools. He had a label and he signed two of um, Salt Lake City's bands. Uh, one, one was called The New Transit Direction, which the drummer was the one I was talking about from The Used, where I said he was just like in every awesome band ever and I really looked up to him growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so New Transit Direction was signed to Some Records and then this band called Form of Rocket was also signed to Some Records and they were, um, they were just like this instrumental hardcore band it's, it sounded like their music sounded like when you get to like the final boss on like super mario brothers you know? <laughs> so their, mu- their music was like really techie it was cool though i really liked it and they would just like like, they, like i don't think that like a producer could capture them it's, it's just one of those the, one of those things you just have to like see in person and they're still they're still a band like today. yeah so they don't tour or anything but i think you know if, if you're in salt lake and form of rocket just happens to be playing it's it's a spectacle you should see. check it out yeah i remember new new transit direction New Trans Direction was very great. It had this kind of like, uh, kind of like this like jaw box sound, mm-hmm. or like Burning Airlines, or um, yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> I just have a specific question about um, I don't know how, but they found me. Yeah. So as I'm looking up, no, no, I don't know how, but they found me has touched into mainstream culture in a way, in a totally you know in a way that a lot of bands that I'm that I know don't haven't. And I think I was trying to find like what what to me seems like the ultimate example of that. And you can correct me if if you have a better, but to me, it's that you guys played Ellen. That seems like the perfect example of how much you've like tapped into mainstream culture. Yeah, we did. We did Jimmy Kimmel too. That that was such a weird time because we couldn't actually go to those places. We, oh, this was COVID. Yeah, we had to turn in footage. So although the the, the positive side of turning in footage was that we were able to control our own sound. But yeah. the negative side of that was like, we didn't get to, you didn't get to experience. Yeah. yeah. We didn't get, I didn't get to shake Ellen's hand or get the good, like the little goodie packages that I hear so much about. Like I, I didn't get the iPad when you go play the show. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm, I'm just assuming that's what happens when you go on those shows, right? You just get like some little goodie bag. It's like, here you yeah. go. You know, didn't get the green room experience, um, <laughs> you know, so maybe one day we'll get to go back. But uh Yeah. Um, it was, it was kind of crazy though. Just, just that whole, that whole thing. It just, it didn't feel real. Also, what I heard though, is that, um, LA didn't get to see the actual Ellen performance because Tiger Woods, uh, rolled his car. <laughs> wow. Really? And so they got broken in with a news brief. Yes. Oh, so, which wow. sucked for us for sure. But then I found out like New York saw it and like middle America saw it and it's now it's living up on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. So I, I think I say somewhere because I think they're like with the networks, I think there's like a certain amount of time that they buy the the license for it. And mm-hmm. then after that, then we can post it on our channel or it somewhere has a bootleg or something, but you, you can, you can find it. One final thing I want to talk about. Yeah. I just searched your name on YouTube and there's some very interesting videos that come up. <laughs> I'm sure there's the, it's all, it's all part of the the job, you know? That's what's beautiful about YouTube is because uh, it just it just never goes away, you know. And there's I, you don't have to tell me anything. What I'm going to tell you is that when you're searching some of these names, what happens is is that you know you you hire a press person, and they get you some of these interviews. And at the time, the people that you're interviewing with are probably the the thing of that time. Yeah, and that's all I'm going to say. 
Okay, because there's like compilations, and I assume these compilations are made by hardcore fans. Probably, yeah. Okay, I know it's it's a real it's a really wacky uh, world, you know, and it's even wackier to think that I'm almost forty years old, and some of the you know some some of our fans think that I'm just like this approachable, you know, kid kid that relates to them, and in some in some ways I do relate to them, and and in a lot of other ways I don't relate to them, you yeah. know. Well, you you know, according to one of you, you're very adorable. <laughs> Compilation of you being adorable. All right, that's good with all my <laughs> haircuts. And- yeah, and then there's one. Th- this is one I find very interesting. A compilation. It's just Ryan. Okay, Ryan Seaman swearing. Oh man, there's like five minutes of cuts of you like swearing. Like, oh fuck and shit. And yeah, it's like uh, clips of you in different interviews or situations where you, you happen to be swearing. Oh man, yeah, I gotta watch my mouth. I mean, like you know, I am a <laughs> sailor according to my last name. So first with that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Our fans, our fans are, are rabid, but you know, what? if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. So you, you, you got to appreciate somebody that cares enough to put together five minutes of you swearing, <laughs> taking the time out of their precious day. <laughs> you know? And then they, they hit the upload button. They say, this is it. This is ready. <laughs> All right. Last, last thing, Ryan, what, what do you, when you're in the practice space and somebody wants you to play the, the, the punk beat? What do you call yeah. a punk beat? What's your shorthand name for the punk beat? Uh, I, call it, I call it the Fat Records beat. Okay. Right. Is, that good? Is that good or no? That's good. Lots of people call it the Fat Records beat. the most used term that we well, get. Well, yeah, because it's a boot da doo da doo da doo da You know, it's funny, though. In Teen Tragedies, they were like, we do not want the Fat Records beat. We want you to do variations of things that no drummer can figure out. So I'd be like, okay. So I'd be like, you know what I mean? Just like, it's not the same thing over and over again. They wanted me to add my own yeah. thing to it. And all, all the kicks would be a little bit different. Do you think you can sneak uh, like eight bars of the money beat into your new band? Um, <laughs> you know what? what? What's great about our band is that there's really no, there's, there's no, no limit. Ceiling. Yeah, they're right. There's no limit. Like it's really fun. Listen, if anybody hasn't listened to uh, your band, it's it's so fun to listen to from like a musical perspective because you never know what's happening next. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, like again, you know, not not giving anything away. We've we've written some some jams, you know, um, that may or may not come out soon. I don't know when it's that's going to happen, but there's we have a, a wide collection of songs. But we even have something that's like even like a like in a Hall and Oates kind of uh, variation, you know. So you never know. Nice. I, I like that. Uh, I like that it's rock, but it's like dancey and pop too so you kind of have you're not like more one than the other you're kind of all of those things together right yeah i mean advice for any musician just just create the music that you would want to listen to and that's that's that you know so if you're singing 20 years from now how you live in your mom's basement eating you know fucking captain crunch you better be damn sure that's what you want people to hear 20 years later Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, 
Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Ska. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Ska Discord. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying ska now more than ever. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.